0: Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thinking about the people in America who, by the way, this the show is a love letter to them. It's a wake-up call for them. How but so? In that we are reminding our culture what our mission statement was. You know, we are post-war babies who who pulled ourselves up and realized that we live in the greatest country in the world and we could do whatever we want to do.
0: That was RuPaul and Michael Patrick King, who both joined me in the studio today to discuss their new show, A.J. and the Queen, a heartfelt, gritty comedy in which Ru stars as Robert Lee, better known as the drag queen Ruby Red, who, when faced with a broken heart and a stolen dream, meets a streetwise 10-year-old and takes it on the road. Michael Patrick King's vast body of work includes the juggernaut that was Sex and the City, Not to mention Murphy Brown, Will & Grace, Sybil, The Comeback, and Two Broke Girls. And RuPaul's career achievements could fill an encyclopedia. You know them all. The RuPaul Show, RuPaul's Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Con. The list goes on and on. Between them, they have left an indelible print on our modern pop culture. They've influenced the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we think about relationships, the way we talk about identity, the way we contour, even the way we brunch. In this conversation, we talk about what drives them, how they maintain the pace, their passion, their purpose, and what makes their creative partnership so vital. We're jumping straight in here, people. Mama Roo waits for no one, so buckle up, keep up, and enjoy the ride. We're ready whenever you are. Yeah, let's let's hit it. Yeah, let's we're hitting it. it. Ready?
1: Yeah, I you know uh, I've been looking at pictures. I've been posting a lot. RuPaul here. I've been posting a lot of pictures on Instagram. Mm-hmm. A lot of I had someone transfer a lot of my old photographs to digital a few years back, and I never looked at them, but mm-hmm. recently I've been looking Are at them. Are they
2: able to do that with kinescope? Yeah, they
1: can do that. <laughs> with tin the kinescope, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, Sid Season and I were talking just the other day. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I'm finally posting these pictures, and I'm seeing these pictures, some 35-year-old pictures, and I think, boy, am I tired. Boy, <laughs> have I just been working forever. Well, that leads me into
0: a really good question, which was, uh, I'll I'll just start with it. You two, you don't need to do anything else ever in life. You don't need to do anything else. And yet, and I think about MPK over here. That's Michael Patrick King. Uh, You guys have already heard Rue talking. You know, what you've accomplished between Sex and the City and Two Broke Girls. And I, I was reading that the DVDs alone of Sex and the City sold North of $300 million, okay? Your Emmys, your show, your everything. Why, why did you decide to get more tired and create a brilliant, funny, heartwarming, I loved every second of it, didn't want it to end, show AJ and the Queen? Because that shit is not easy. Right. And you not only did it, you didn't just do like song and dance, it isn't this cute, you really fucking did it. So we're on the road, we're in and out of drag. We have a kid, we have like lots of characters, we meet a ton of people
1: along the way. Why? Why now? Well, first of all, let me just answer the first part. There you know, I you know, I complain about boy am I tired. I'm I've been working so much. The the alternative is actually even worse. You know, to, to not do <laughs> to do nothing is uh, is really death to uh, sweet, sensitive souls, and I speak for Michael too, who um, you know, uh, this life can be very boring and d- drudgery <laughs> if we are not, if we don't keep moving. So the alter, So why have, do it? I have to do
2: it. I have one uh, addition to that. There is something worse than doing nothing, that is doing something that doesn't matter. Mm. That you don't care about, that you're going and you're exhausted and you're because, you know, it takes just as long to do something you don't care about as something you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to be trapped in a situation where you're killing yourself and it doesn't engage your heart and soul and you're not laughing or you're not amazed or you're not seeing music, there is a worse thing than doing nothing and there's nothing Absolutely nothing exhausting about being exhausted on something that is like this show, which was just always out of our fingertips. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, we we worked with Joni Marchenko, and she said to me once we were watching Ru do, I think the number when he was a chandelier or something, and, Mm. and she goes honey i don't know what i don't know what this is but whatever the hell it is it's thrilling <laughs> <laughs> and and i felt that the reason to the, the simplest answer to why is ru for me the fact that ru paul showed up and said literally without using these words because it's too corny do you want to play together
1: mm-hmm.
2: is the only reason to do this and then, when you have a playmate like Rue, you really want to use all the Crayolas.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you want
2: to color with everything in the box. Uh, you want to use all the crayons—the mm-hmm. periwinkle blue and the gold, and the yeah. sky blue—and the. And in most television, you get to use primary colors. Yeah, and with him, slash, her character, and this. Life that we've sort of lived as people and artists, we got to really um, open up to this thing. And it was exhausting because we went supposedly across the country. (laughs) And he... I've never seen anybody do what he does. And I've worked with a lot of people. But I've never seen anybody... I mean, my favorite thing about Rue is he refuses to fail. Even when he's failing... He will somehow... Like, you know, like, what's the movie where the guy... Did the sheer rock climbing? I can't remember oh, that. You know, it's called
1: the rock or
2: something. no,
0: no, and, uh, free solo, free solo, oh, yeah.
2: And you would just think, how is he getting yeah. his finger in that thing and pulling himself <laughs> up? We had a couple of scenes where Rue. I mean, this is all new to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, like pages and pages of dialogue going into drag, yeah. going into heartbreak, and I would see him <laughs> sliding down the face of the cliff yeah. of this thing, and somehow I'm not hitting the ground. He get right. his his nail or his heel into it and hold himself there and then pull him up and do the best he can, which is all you really want if you're going to kill yourself. You want somebody who's also killing themselves.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I uh, absolutely agree. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the people in America who, by the way, this the show is a love letter, letter to them. It's a wake-up call for them. How but so? In that we are reminding uh, our culture what... Our mission statement was, you know, we are post-war babies who who pulled ourselves up, and realized that we live in the greatest country in the world, and we could do whatever we want to do, and that uh, at our heart, at our core, America is absolutely a lovely place with good, lovely people, and we've somehow gotten off track. And this show, AJ and the Queen, is a love letter. It's a wake-up call uh, to sort of. A gentle nudge to uh, awaken that that beautiful beast, that beautiful American beast.
2: And we tried to show as much as we could of what's next in the world, Mm -hmm. rather than what we have right now, Mm -hmm. Um, that rather than thinking of AJ and Ruby, the queen, as misfits, maybe just think that everybody fits. And that as we wrote when we were writing and we went across the country in our heads, and they meet everyone from trailer parks to uh, what t shirt contests, we were very, very aware of not pushing anyone out of the story. Like not saying us and them, but saying us. And even, you know, the parable of this drag queen who thought he had it all together and was all ego. And the universe served him up a big disappointment that the next person to help him along his path is this 10-year-old girl masquerading as a boy Mm -hmm. whose mother has an opiate problem. And the idea that that contrast is in the world and that the tall one has to learn from the small one. Mm -hmm. Just like the... the, Just the... Everybody learning from each other. Like, anyway, they're walking down the street, and he says to her, you know, she's afraid he's going to get beat up in Ohio because he's gay with big Mm -hmm. boobs in Ohio. That's Mm -hmm. her line, and he says, you know, for someone so smart, you have a very limited view of the world. Mm -hmm. People are more complicated. So subliminally, within the big rubber boobs... And the heels and the drag and the little kid in Jimmy Cagney drag, this little Mm -hmm. tough little shit, we're trying to say, open up, Mm -hmm. open up. Stop thinking of us as two separates or 1,700 separates. You have a speech at the end about like we're all in drag, which is, Mm -hmm. of course, back to Rue, why you do it, the philosophy Mm -hmm. that everybody's in drag is really mm-hmm. interesting and you can change your drag he even says that to jane krakowski's character
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can change it for you you're an actor
2: i think we all are i, I know but you're are. really an actor <laughs> i mean
0: i know i'm an actor when i have moments sometimes i give my best performances and no one's watching right but... now <laughs> right now is this <laughs> it like i've got are an audience sure this is genuine <laughs> but seems so <laughs> You give, you're a real actor now. You are giving a range of emotions. Mm -hmm. You are, you have no makeup on. Mm -hmm. You are, we're seeing you uh, like, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but like, we've never seen you before. Mm -hmm. And I only say that because when you're in your drag, when you are in RuPaul's Drag Race or when you are performing, there is nothing that is left for uh, there's no detail that you haven't covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The hair is a certain way, the look, the, everything is so controlled. Mm-hmm. And yet you're completely out of control as the yeah. actor and as a as person. How was that for you as just RuPaul doing that? Like as well, you're sitting here right now looking at that dialogue, knowing you're going to have to do that that yeah. day.
1: Well, you know, I felt safe with Michael and he created an atmosphere where I, could, I knew that I would be fine. In fact, years before... We, I played myself on the comeback, the brilliant mm-hmm. show, the comeback, and he made a small adjustment for me, and it made so much sense to me. It went, oh, of course, of course, and in that moment, I thought, oh, this is someone who not only is super talented but smart and is paying attention to every aspect and every detail, and I felt safe with him. So when my agent called and said, hey, you know, it's probably time for us to, to uh, you know, hook up with a, a, a writer, I said, he said, who do you want to? I said, oh. Uh, Michael Patrick King. Let's call him up. Called him up, and within 15 minutes of meeting him, uh, we'd met before, but of meeting with him, um, A.J. and the Queen was born. Within 15 minutes of our meeting. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: What was – where's the commonality other than, like, were, you, were there film references or television? Oh, yeah. or thing? Okay, so give me I a mean, little the, bit of that. The,
2: the, the, the beginning of the meeting was I was uh, – like a minute late which I never am and I walked in, into my office and Rue was there prompt as he always is in a bird of paradise suit. <laughs> burned. Burned into my memory. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was sitting under a photograph I have in my office which is a big black and white still from Preston Sturge's uh, Sullivan's Travels. Mm-hmm. And he said that's my favorite movie. And I said that's my favorite movie. And the thing that's important about why we like that crazy movie mm-hmm. is, first of all, it travels from an African-American cook in an RV trying to make pancakes hitting potholes and getting covered in flour, that kind mm-hmm. of Max Senate clown, mm-hmm. to this higher place, which is this Hollywood director, thinks it's time for him. It's the Great Depression. There's hobos. Everybody's broke. Everybody in the country's broke. Everybody's down and out. He thinks his job, since he's a director, is to make an important movie about the pain of the world. So he goes on the road with Veronica Lake, and what he realizes when he's arrested and put in a prison that they take them to see a movie, and it's a Mickey Mouse cartoon. It's the only time he saw any of these down and out Mm -hmm. prisoners smile, and he realizes, well, if you have the gift and you can make something... Maybe what you should do is make people smile Mm -hmm. if that's your thing. That's what he's been doing. Mm -hmm. That's what I try to do is just lift it up. What do you Mm -hmm. try to make something smile? So that's the connection that I don't know if you know this, but we're both gay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's another connection. I
0: never would have believed. I just would have said like. We're both
2: in our 30s. 1930s, that is, darling. (laughs) Um, That's a connection. We're both scrappy. Both came from nothing. Um, both, I'm going to qualify mine, but both made our way. He made his way clearly. There was no, there was no place for him. Mm-hmm. So he once again found a way to get in the wall that doesn't yeah. open. Yeah, but that's the connection. That's
1: the connection, and and it's so lovely to be able to volley and play with someone who who who's on your, on your level of, of volleying, volleying, you know, just like this.
2: Are you attempting a sports reference?
1: I'm doing a sports and tri- reference. I'm and loving I'm, it. I'm not doing it very well, but <laughs> it's, Volleying, it's close enough. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. And it's, it's just, it's so good. It, it, you know, it's, it's, um, it seems harder and harder to find good volley partners, uh, from time to time. I've been lucky in my, in my life, in my career, to still work with the kids I know from these villages. Mm-hmm. We've been doing it forever. And, and, uh, In that moment when Michael made a small adjustment on me at the comeback filming, I thought, here's
2: one. He's got it. Okay. You know, he went right off the really interesting question Mm -hmm. about what's it like for him to be vulnerable
0: Mm -hmm. in an Mm -hmm. actor. So you can answer that. And there
2: was no small adjustment in this. I mean, it was really interesting to see him, good morning, now you're going to go into the RV and fall apart and the cameras are going to be right on your face. And there's no lighting and there's there's no glamour mm-hmm. and he's like ready and he came ready. And the the one thing when we were going out we we came up with our version of the show. We were like, yeah, we know what it is and we were at a meeting right before between us right before we went out to sell it. Um and I said to them it, him checking in with the DNA of what we were going to sell. Is there anything about this show, the idea of this show that worries you? And he said, yes. Can I do it? Mm -hmm. And I said, we don't. The fact that you asked that question means we don't have a problem. You were never pretending you knew what you were going to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a surprise how much... Well, we just—it just kept coming.
1: Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I felt safe, and and it was such a surprise because, you know, <laughs> I'm not dead inside as I had assumed. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you live this life and you stay in this town and you try to survive in this town, and there are parts of uh, myself that you know have had to shut down and to not uh, be emotionally affected by it. And this calls on me to um, to bring all that up, and I and I was prepared, and that was. A a beautiful uh, surprise and um, uh, a gift from this whole project.
0: One of the extra other part of this is that you perform in every episode, which Mm. we have not seen you do that. Yeah. And I can't remember the
2: last time. Yeah. No, when when he's doing the uh, wet t-shirt contest. Uh Uh-huh. Rue was looking at the the first cut of it, and he goes, "Ooh, people haven't seen her since New York in the '80s." Yeah. I mean, he was just like, "Oh, I'm I'm that's there." Yeah, in the Daisy Dukes and uh, the halter top. Yeah, um, and also, it's really important that he perform. Yeah. Rue is like a very old fashioned in his give the people what they want. So if we're gonna, if he's crying in one scene, he he would say, "Oh, oh." That's my first attempt at ever doing you. Oh, oh, uh, we should put a number here. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so then they can go back on the second time and just watch the musical numbers. Right. That will uh-huh. be fun for the audience. Yeah. And then we should do music too. Yeah, yeah. Old fashioned. Did-
0: How did you decide on the red wig and the ruby red and all that? Because I know the names are very important. (laughs) Well, you know, uh,
1: actually, Michael said uh, asked that question, and
2: (laughs) I said, literally, how are we going to steal what you've already perfected, but change it so that people don't think it's RuPaul? What are we gonna like? I asked this big artistic. Adam splitting question. And what did you say?
1: I said, well, just wear red hair.
2: <laughs> he actually said, he actually said with a, a raise of, maybe she's not blonde. Yeah. And then I said, well, what could she be said? Red. Yeah. And yeah. then it all comes from there. Red. And that's it. just
0: as simple yeah, as that. Maybe she's not sure. blonde. Because you've had, what, 11 seasons, num- tons of Emmys, blonde. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Kamaru. Uh
1: Yeah, was it 11th season? I can't remember. We started- I think you're in
0: your 11th season, 11th or however season, yes. you count it, like in dog years, I'm yeah. not sure. But- we
1: started the show right after the Korean conflict. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. And then the beauty cons and all of that. <laughs> yeah. So I see how you guys, just looking at you, I see how you work, obviously, a little bit creatively. What happens when you butt heads or your challenges? How do you get through that?
1: Do we butt heads? It feels all creative to me, even if... We've disagreed. Oh, yeah, you've twisted my arms a few
2: times. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, here's another, I think, a big journey. Aside from Rue, the, the actor, which is already there, there's another big journey which was very interesting, which is Rue's drag is a thing unto itself. Mm-hmm. And if I was making a ballet analogy just to balance off his volleying mm-hmm. sports analogy, mm-hmm. Rue, as Mama Rue, if that's what people are going to identify that character as, is a prima ballerina, mm-hmm. the end. That exists on its own everything. It's a prima ballerina. To ask the prima ballerina to be in the court of ballet... Mm-hmm. which is what you have to do. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Rue's like, a, it's really, drag is magic, don't you think? It is it's magic. It's like you don't yeah. want to stay too long. Yeah, right. Right. You want to show it and go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's shot from the front.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Rue said, you know, I'm only shot from the front. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's over. <laughs> that You know you know what I mean, drag, I'm only shot from the front. And he goes, yeah, that's over.
1: Yeah. With uh, the perfect lighting. And I said, yes, and yeah. then
2: we have... Ed Pei was our cinematographer. Who sh- I said, "You'll look amazing, and you'll look real, and you'll be drag when you're supposed to be dragged. But mm-hmm. the idea, the first time I, 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 you said to me, "What are we doing?" I've been in. He was in Tockton mm-hmm. and he said, "Let's go." I said, "We have to turn the lights around. It's going to take forty five minutes." Mm-hmm. And Rue was like, "I just can't be sitting here." Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like it, it wasn't like I'm too good to sit here. It was like. I can't be showing the thumb where the magic scarf goes for 45 mm-hmm. minutes. It's I'm not used to being exposed as sitting in you said I can't sit sit in a chair for 45 minutes. Yeah. And wait, and I said that's the fastest crew I've ever worked with. You have to. Yeah. Movie acting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. also, you know, uh, a beard
1: is growing back. Things are tucked. (laughs) Things are glued. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when, uh, you know, there are hot lights and stuff. um, It's rough. Things come undone. And, you know, you have to go back and fix them. Yeah, and
2: then there's another half hour. Yeah. So anyway, Rue sat in the chair. This is early. This is episode three, Mm -hmm. which is really upfront. Rue sat in the chair, and then it was time for him to do this giant. Gigantic wet T-shirt contest number where he had to get wet and Mm -hmm. stuff, and he gave it all. And when we thought that's enough, he looked at me and he said, "Let me freestyle one for you." Yeah, and I felt personally that was a give. For the 45 minute like mm-hmm. that little moment and that was the only mm-hmm. time i ever thought oh how are we going to do this with the drag mm-hmm. not with rue is robert mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah also i think i i think that having done this work for so i think in terms of the editor i think of okay what are we going to give the editor to work with how are we going to make this uh interesting you know so i always want to do a freestyle one i always want to give a little bit extra and uh But
2: so few people do want to give a little bit mm-hmm. extra. And when you're already a, <laughs> a little bit extra yeah. and you still wanna give extra, that's why you do it. You know, but the music is also that was really fun too, because mm-hmm. that's something he has that I don't really. I
0: know. Have. How did you pick which ones? A like salt and pepper. It and would share. Fl- it, Diana we'd be in the Ross, writing room and we would say
2: like we'd set up the moment like well this should be and he would go ooh pretty poison yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he just stand up and anytime he stood up and started doing it we would just type well that's the song yeah 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 pretty you
1: no know. I've I've always uh, music catch me is, I'm falling catch me I'm gone. falling by the group pretty poison there was one hit wonder I don't even know if it was a Actually, a hit. <laughs> it I, is but now. It is now. But I, you know, I've always got music going in my head. Music is my life. And you talk about, you know, uh, what drives me out of bed every day? It is music, it's rhythm. And so uh, that song uh, has always been a, a stripper fantasy for me. It's, if I were ever a stripper, it would be Catch Me, I'm Falling by Pretty Poison. But we got lots of music, lots of dancing, lots of uh, a roller coaster of mm-hmm. emotions in this show. And it was important uh, to both of us to do that because the things that I keep going back to, you know. Um, you know, like the movie Grease or or um, the Wizard of Oz, the things that I can watch it all the time have these tentpole m- moments, whether it's musical, whether it's emotional, whether it's sadness, that you can sort of dip the needle onto these different places and go back to it and revisit it, and that's what this show has. It has the it runs a gamut of emotions mm-hmm. and it does it really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Great cast of characters too, which I yeah. loved all the uh,
2: there's so many outsider elements to oh, this. So
0: good. Lou is the cop oh. And the, oh my god. And, and then the we god. have Tia. Oh. And then we have the, and the kid. kid, But we have
2: Tia Carrera. Here's a rude thing. <laughs> I was like, Well the 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 villain is the ex boyfriend and I said, We we he's gonna chase them. We have to have someone With him, so he's not just we're not just doing scenes of him looking mean in a car, Mm -hmm. and and I go, we need a sidekick, and Rue just looks at me and goes, well, maybe there's a woman named Lady Danger who does illegal pumping parties in the drag clubs, and instead of saline, she pumps motor oil, and I was like. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Keep going. And then
2: it was like, and then she screwed up her face and she has an eye patch on Yes. (laughs) I have to spell check everything you just said because I just threw it up on my computer. But I can't even take time to spell. But literally, those moments where I'm like, from the narrative, what are we going to do? And he goes, only he would say, you know, she pumps uh, motor oil instead of, uh, instead of, S- sailing hmm
0: mm-hmm. Fun. Did you guys know each other in the late 80s and 90s in New York? No, we met at... I time. walked Allie by Ross. the pier
2: a couple of times. and <laughs> yeah, I, was I was probably His there. old stomping ground. Yeah,
1: I was probably there. But we met through Allie Willis at yeah. one of her backyard parties. Yeah, mm-hmm. out here. But
2: no, of course I knew Rue. I mean, you can't not be Rue. in New York. You know, everybody. Thanks. why we're here, by I'll the way. I'll
0: never forget that Matt campaign. Yeah. It was as if... I ha- I was just at starting off and working and uh, in New York City, money-making Manhattan. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> what? It was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And that
1: was, that was, I didn't really... That was huge when you think about that at it, that time. It was. 1993,
0: 94? Yeah.
1: But, yeah. you know, I had been working and stomping around New York and nightclubs and stuff for 11 years before... Um, anything happened with my career before I got the record deal at Tommy Boy in uh, 92. And so for 11 years before that, I had been, you know, doing my thing and terrorizing
2: y'all's neighborhoods, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And the other thing is I'm so glad we didn't until now. Right. I'm, I'm uh-huh. so glad we didn't until now yeah. because it's really important that when you get to a certain level of, sh- I'm going to say surety, Mm-hmm. In what you do, you're so sure <laughs> of what you do mm-hmm. that it really takes someone that you already know that they're special to, I hate to say this, but to be able to listen. Mm-hmm. You gotta have someone who's already got as much, or else somebody who's just crazy, like a 20-year-old that you think, I don't know, they're from another planet, whatever they say, we're putting in. Mm -hmm. But the idea of the vetting of each other through our careers, that if he said something to me, I'd be well, he knows. And I'm hoping there are moments where he would think, well, he knows. Absolutely. So you don't have to think, am I the right one? Mm -hmm. You're both right. Now what? So I'm really happy, plus I don't think unless I did this show, I would ever have the relationship I have with Rue. Our relationship is so naked emotionally and close because of the dream mm-hmm. we came up with and then did that I feel so blessed that I feel like I have a special relationship with Rue. You do. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And that is something that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. To me. Yeah.
1: It's it's pretty amazing. And, uh, and I'll say it again. To be able to play with someone who is as talented and f- outrageous and passionate and uh, emotionally present is such a gift. You just, most people, to survive in this world, not just Hollywood, you have to shut everything off. You gotta shut. You Mm -hmm. gotta shut it off. And to be with someone so present, and 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 this man on the set, he is screaming. He's laughing. He's he's crying. He's um, he's he's, bipolar. He's out there. (laughs) He's actually. He's got. He's got his computer on the set, writing. He's there. He's writing. He's doing it. And um, then that gives us all permission to also do that and feel it's a safe place to do that mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. uh, I, I I know that I have been so gifted with this thing in fact because of this because of all of this somehow we've been able to channel this really beautiful show and uh, for, on every level and we, we both we'll, we get together and go how are we able to pull that off you know there's the technical stuff but then there there's the ethereal God stuff that just mm-hmm. entered into this project. Like even the kid, who we haven't spoken enough about, because mm-hmm. this kid, my goodness.
2: Izzy G. Izzy G.
1: Even in the audition, we had the chemistry Energy. together. We mm-hmm. were, It was like, oh my goodness. And so it goes back to that there is another unseen force at work here. Mm-hmm. That's why we know that this is a gift to not just America, but to the world, to remind us to sort of, uh, it's an alignment. It's an emotional alignment for the world to get us back in 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 shape. It mm-hmm. was very
2: important to show a little white girl and a tall black man holding hands and going across the country. To me, that was important. Yeah. it was important that element be subliminally seen. It just was. Yeah, and uh. The interesting thing about them holding hands on camera is one thing, but they also held hands in life Mm -hmm. because despite their vastly different lives to that point, they were both newbies. In this show. Yeah. And he was doing something he'd never done, and she was doing something she'd never done. And I'd have, I'd be directed and I'd hear the can, the, I'd have the headphones on, and they'd be wired, and I could hear them talking, and he would, they'd be rehearsing, and he wouldn't know a line, and she'd say, You're doing good. You're doing good. And then I would hear them say before action, Okay, hold my hand, let's go. And then he would snap her out of being 10 every now and then. He'd uh-huh. say, Quick sticks, quick sticks, yeah. like, let's get it together. The teacher's coming. But literally, they were, they were jumping out of a plane together, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and they were the parachutes for each other.
0: I want to take you guys back to the beginning a little bit here for for our listeners, and you had you had both of you had kind of touched on it. You are scrappy, you came from nowhere, Scranton, Pennsylvania, San Diego, then Atlanta. You didn't grow up in an environment that would lend itself towards this kind of entertainment success necessarily from what I've read and what I know from you, Michael. Obviously, Rue, you were told you were going to be famous, maybe from birth. Maybe that had some effect. I mean, they say that that does a little bit if you tell they manifest destiny or whatever. Well, what advice would you give or what, what do you tell people like in the middle of the country where you travel in the show basically that don't have access, that don't live on the coast, that don't have money or connections. Like, both of you knew you were performers. You knew you had to get out. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. You knew you had to get
2: out. You I had- would say we knew we had to let something out. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, I was not <clears throat> told I was famous, mm-hmm. it was going to be famous, which, of course, maybe is the best thing you could say to someone. You're mm-hmm. not going to be famous. Mm-hmm. I think the the thing anywhere, it's already there. It's already in them. That's the thing. Wherever you are in the middle of the country or Timbuktu, it's whatever is in you that would maybe direct you to this uh, exalted place of getting to create and shape spirit so people could feel something. It's already in you. The hard journey, and you do it all the time when you hold up those pictures of the drag queens and say, talk to your seven-year-old. The hard part is allowing it to come out. And I'm not talking about your sexuality. That's sometimes true, too. But Mm -hmm. your mad vision of who you think you can be, your spirit. Yes. You're, you're absolutely right. Everyone
1: is born with a transmitter, a beacon, and your job is to clear a space for that beacon to shine through. It's a frequency that you align yourself with, and what happens is through stillness, through a lot of time alone. Both of us watched a lot of television and spent a lot of time alone creating that magic. What you do is in that in that quiet time, and even if you you know the middle of nowhere, you know, it's, you find that that light that light starts to shine brighter. And that's the light that will carry you through some of the darker moments. Because even when, you know, you do find out what you want to do, and I remember being out here in L.A. at 28, sleeping on my sister's couch, my younger sister's couch, not a dime to my name. And I had, um, um, even in those dark times, was was able to uh, rely back on that that light. The belief.
2: And it's abstract, but it's very loud when you're young and it doesn't have to be about performing. You see some kid all of a sudden says I'm going to be a, a, a geography. I'm going to tra- I'm going to write maps. Yeah. You know, I, there's something there that if if they're allowed to be that and even if you're not allowed, yeah. if you mm-hmm. listen or you're if you're very blessed, it's so strong you almost can't deny it. That's right. I mean, I went to New York when I was 20 and I still didn't have my rent when I was 38. I was still in New York doing everything I could. There was no reason anyone was, like, saying, you know, that's a good plan. Yeah. But I felt this thing, this vibration yeah. in me that needed to be recognized. And it, you could say need is complicated and maybe wrong, but it uh, needs to be dealt with. And it gets you through sleeping on your sister's couch at 28, 28 or yeah. 38 going, hiding from your landlord and thinking, I'm... A, I, I'm 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 i I have something to say. Yeah, that's the same. I say right now. I say I'm exactly the same as I was at seven, mm-hmm. but with a little bit more uh, skill. Mm-hmm. My mother used to tell me I had a natural, crazy instinct to put on a show in Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I would put table. I would put picnic tables together. Put the stairs. They were my thing. Put on a pageant. Do something. A pageant. Here Uh we are. Uh The last show in the A.J. and the Queen is a pageant. Uh But my mother had three gowns in the attic. Her wedding gown, her bridesmaid's gown from her sister, and her bridesmaid's gown from her best friend. And they were in a zippered bag. That was my costume department. (laughs) So I would go up and get those dresses and put them on my three sisters and force them to walk around. And then I would pull lampshades and whatever else I could do to make the set. My mother got to the point where she would say to me, Michael, I'm going downtown. When I leave this house, do not go up in that attic and pull out all those dresses and put on a show. Do not, and I go okay. The door would close, and it would be like, uh, uh. I was compelled to pull the dresses out, even though I knew I was going to get in trouble and put on a show. And I realized, even on this show, when they were saying to me, Michael. This budget is too big. You are not going to be able to do everything you want. You need to get the budget. You need to cut stuff. And I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. And then we would do it because I saw the show. So basically my mother was my first studio is the point. But it's in you. Yeah. If you're lucky and you're pure and you're not in a crisis situation, if your family isn't, if you're not worried about your food or your safety – there is a moment where you can play with the idea of, hey, what's that? What's that? Right, is right. that who I am?
1: Right. You know, again, like Michael, I, I was compelled to do it. And, you know, drag was something that sort of fell on my lap. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? I, you know, I'll do it if, you know, if I can pay my rent or, you know, get some drink tickets. You are gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you but i didn 't I never thought you know my thinking was oh i 'll be David Bowie, and i will um, i 'll start a rock band and and i 'll do andrajdge sort of David Bowie thing that 'll be the way I do it. But as I went down the road, um, drag happened to me. And I took note. And, I, I, and that's where that creating a space and listening to that, that voice inside saying, no, this is this is something you can really do well. So I, I tucked it to the side. And then when I finally wanted to work above 14th Street and go <laughs> mainstream, uh, I thought, um, well, I'll have to do my David Bowie thing. Then it occurred to me, who said that you, you can't do this thing in drag? And I thought, oh, I said that. It was in it was implanted in my head. So once I made space for uh, another thought and and cleared out that old directive, it was like ancient doors of the universe started to creak open like I had said the 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 you know, open sesame, these secret words. And those words were in my own head. The adjustment was me. The world didn't have to adjust. I had to adjust and 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 be open to what the universe's stage direction had for that's, me. That's that's mm-hmm. so
2: important. I call well, it the green lights, following the green lights. Following yeah. the green look lights. Where they are. Yeah. Where yes. the green lights. Don't go to the right. red lights. Where the right. yellow lights. Green lights and all of a sudden it's like you could be David Bowie, but look what's happening when you're in drag. That's right. Green right. lights.
1: Green lights. Smiles. Lights.
2: I see it as smiles. Openness. Yes, the universe is telling you go that way. We yes. like that.
1: Yes. That's but, right.
0: Well, it's interesting that you guys were doing that all also before social media, Uh because I feel like, and I know I'm sure we could have a whole other podcast about how we feel about social media, but at that specific time, it was really before, you know, certainly ages before Instagram, which I Mm. think has kind of killed a little bit of the creative spirit. At the same time, it's given so many people outlets for creativity. But I think about all the stuff that you were doing, if you were putting that on social media you your struggles or mm-hmm. you know would you have your own youtube show about trying to well, make you know, it here's, would the, you, big, here's yeah. the
2: bigger zen question if you're getting lots of random likes does it stop your need for the big like mm. if you're getting if you put up a if you put up a a meme where you're like Blah blah, blah or you're a jiff or you're funny, and you get mm-hmm. 500 people for no reason. Just decide you're funny. You're doing mm-hmm. your uncle. He's drunk, mm-hmm. and you get 500 likes. Does that feed the beast too much, mm. so that you're getting maybe a third of the way where you would get if you were not getting it? Mm-hmm. And I was in a writing room, not on this show, but on on uh, another show that I had, and I had 27 year olds, and I would tell them that their scripts needed to be better. And, of course, they do the first, what that time was the millennial shift. I'm sorry it didn't work for you. Right, right. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry it didn't work for you. And not to be like the old man of the sea, but I was like, there's a rule. I'm in charge, and it's got to work. And I remember I started on Murphy Brown with Diane English. If she had told me a script didn't work, it would have been the end of, like, I don't know, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I would have, the the lightning would have (laughs) shot through my body and I would have melted like the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling these young writers with my background and my history, my Mm -hmm. great largeness, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then I thought, it's because they're going to go out of here and get 500 likes. Right. They Mm -hmm. don't need my like. Yeah there's no deficit of people liking them for doing a 2 minute blur on their phone. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if th- what social I know it does propel an enormous amount of conversation mm-hmm. and thrills arts I mean TikTok is like, oh, look at the fish has mm-hmm. a-, a wife. Yeah. You know, what I mean, yeah. but I don't know what it does to the actual need. It's a very big question, but you're talking to an Irish Catholic who's, you know, it's like need is like, you know, I need more of the hole has to be filled. So I don't right. know. I don't know what social media does to if you're if it's a desert and you just keep going till you hit water, a big oasis, is that the journey to become big? Or is it like there's little water cups each way so you don't even go to the oasis? Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, I think that it's I think like I think we can all agree. I think it's a false value system that doesn't really uh sustain you because it's like um you know, it's like eating some empty calories. You know, it's it doesn't say because the truth is, is a lot of what we do in our art has to do with how the human emotional system reacts to um, these elements. You know, and these elements are real, and humans haven't changed that much. We like to believe that we are advanced, and that you know, uh, you know, young people like to believe that they invented the hookup. Or the blow job, and we all know that you know Joan Crawford invented those things. Uh, But uh, you know, but the human hasn't changed as much as the ego will let you believe, lead you to believe it has. We are still a very primitive, uh, emotionally primitive culture. And just because you got some likes here or you're, you know, you you got a smartphone there, the truth is we're not that different we really are not that different than what we were before you know I don't I don't know all you know, the things that my phone can do I don't care I you don't... know how we are different mm-hmm. than we were before
2: mm-hmm. the phones have affected how we view things see things sit mm-hmm. still and watch something so mm-hmm. that's how I'm that's what I'm interested in in social media how does it affect your ability as an audience mm-hmm. right to sit and take in the journey that yeah. two people have put together for you. <laughs> How does it affect, are you able to go in the RV with AJ and the Queen? Mm-hmm. Or do you not let go of your phone mm-hmm. to go on the journey? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking in bigger pictures as well as macro, micro things, which is like, what's the pace of a show now? mm mm-hmm do you play with the pace do you listen to the pace do you just do stuff we were we were scoring the show it's so interesting we're you know the world is very noisy mm-hmm. and we were this is like one of the great I think lessons or treats of working with rue it was like how much music do you put on a show now like how much music do you put into the body of a narrative like do you Wall to wall music because people are, need to be held their attentions. So there was one scene and we were wondering whether we should put music in. So I had the composer, it's, it, was a, it was a kind of an interesting scene. The composer put music in. Rue hadn't seen it with the music or without. I played in the scene and he looks at it and he goes, with the music, and he goes, uh huh, I get it. But why would I ever watch that scene again? I know exactly what I'm supposed to feel. And he said, I watch stuff to figure out how I participate with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. If we're telling people all the time what to feel because it's easier and we're worried that they won't be able to let go of phones, like what does that do to storytelling?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, mean, you know, we were talking about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, how that rhythm and that pace is so beautiful and so luxurious Brad, I mean, Pitt. I, I just, I, I, Brad Pitt. I just I. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Oh my God. Brad Pitt. Oh, there's all of that too. <laughs> Those, you yes. know what it is? It's like it's like.
2: Remember Pac Man? Like you're going along and all of a sudden you get the power pellet. Boop, boop,
1: boop, boop. Yeah. Brad Pitt takes off yes. his shirt. Yes. Boop, boop, boop. I'm
2: good for two more hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, all's right I, with the world.
1: All's right. That's you know, I want I want the journey. I I I don't watch television with the smartphone in my hand. I'm you know, it's not my thing. All right, I have uh, time for one more question for you guys. What
0: are you both, this is to each of you individually, what are you both obsessed with that we would be surprised to learn?
2: I have been doing a dance with the devil, which is called the YouTube um, algorithm. I will put in a topic I like, like it started with when I watched Fosse-Verdon. And I was like, what is Michelle Williams doing? How did she know to do that? How is that an essence of Gwen Verdon? I didn't know enough about Gwen Verdon. So I have the big TV with Apple TV and all that, and I put in Gwen Verdon. So up comes a click. Oh, here's Gwen Verdon talking. All right. So, okay, that's what she did. Then I go away. Next time I go to to, to my television, there's two things of Gwen Verdon and Gwen Verdon on the Tonys. So it's this weird uh, Whitman chocolate sampler. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm surprised, that I'm so interested in a machine uh, – showing me something wonderful that I didn't know was out there. So that's the good version. So that's what's interesting. Sometimes when I don't want to watch a narrative, I put on YouTube and I go, "What's what's the old algorithm going Oh, really? Charles Pierce did a whole show about turbans? <laughs> like And then of course, you know if you hit it, you're getting Charles Pierce.
0: For mm-hmm. a week, yeah, mm-hmm. but
2: yeah. if that's what I think is surprising about me as somebody who writes a narrative, participating in the opposite of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you know, I, I don't think people would be surprised at my obsession with music and with, certain, um, you know, uh, I've always been obsessed with the Brothers Gibb, the BGS, and I am. I delve into their catalog, into their production, into um, how they fool with the time signature of a song. And it just gives me... That's amazing.
2: That is shocking. It gives me... me You're staying alive. Analyzing the Bee Gees catalog.
1: Analyze. But I've always done it. It's not... I think people know that I'm obsessed with music if they... Sure. You know, but... uh, I am still amazed by them and I think about Barry Gibb a lot because he's the only one left of his whole family mm-hmm. you know and uh and just their music in general uh, uh, just it 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 sends me it I actually I could start crying thinking about it and what it does so that's what I'm It's interesting I'm I
0: with. I had Paul Rudd in here a couple weeks ago and and we talked uh extensively about the Bee Gees he also is a huge Bee Gees fan, and my favorite album, like ever soundtrack, is Staying Alive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. It's it's a it's a great sound. Yeah, you know it's perfection. But you know they have their the sixties right. BGS. They have the seventies when they were with Arif Martin and doing their soul music, and then which led to the disco. And then after in the eighties when they were producing all these other people, uh, Barbara Streisand, Kenny Rogers, uh, Dionne Warwick, uh, uh, you know, Olivia Newton John, Diana Ross. It just goes Very on funny. and on and on. It's brilliant. See, I'm surprised that
0: you get into a helicopter and enjoy it. That's was shocking to me. Yeah, you yeah. enjoy that lack of control
1: of being well, in a helicopter. Well, be, I'm a controlling person, so the, I've had to practice allowing myself to do that. I've had a lot of dental work done, so you have to be able to be open to allow and, and trust. And, you know, that's what happened with with Michael. And I knew even from when I did the guest spot on The Comeback, I thought, There's one. There's someone I can can trust. You're the
0: helicopter pilot.
1: Yes. And the dentist. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. I love it. Oh, my God. Is it safe? Yeah. Is it safe?
2: It is with you. Oh, my God. Marathon man reference.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, guys. Oh, my God. Everybody go watch AJ and the Queen. It's so great. And here's the thing. People, they may be watching with their phones, but they're watching a lot Yeah. because people, Binging. Who knew binging? Who knew someone could sit for three? I think the average time is like three hours. People yeah. binge stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And when we tested it, yeah. they tested it, and they tested it with the young kids. And I turned to the testers, and I said, so when are you going to let them take their phones in? Uh-huh. Because then that's how they watch TV. Yeah. And yeah. there won't be a pace problem because they'll be they'll be texting their friends going, oh, my God, did you just see that? And they participate with it. So that I get. I love yeah. the idea of participating with it.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: As long as you're with it.
0: It's great. Well, congrats, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. AJ and the Queen is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.